0: Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Alright, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Habakkuk wine. I know we are still getting settled and everything. Alright. Well, we'll get started here. We're gonna be talking about the book of Habakkuk over the next two weeks. And I love the book of Habakkuk because it answers some of the questions that we ask even today. We ask even today. Namely, if you've ever given thought to Christianity or a theistic worldview and thinking about God as creator or someone who has designed all of this, naturally the question arises about evil. What about evil? Now, if you've really pondered the evils of this world, or you've turned on social media and you've seen some of the things, you might have maybe asked one or two of these questions. Maybe both. First, if God is really sovereign or overall, if he's powerful and in in control, how could he let such evil prosper in the world? Or maybe, on the flip side, you've asked the question, if God allows so much evil in the world, and he is in control, then is he really good? Now, we're going to be vulnerable here, and I want to just, by a show of hands, and I'm including, have either of these questions run across your mind, just by a show of hands. Either of these questions? Okay, so this is a common question that if you start thinking critically about the world, you will likely face and have to come up with an answer. And if you haven't asked this question... I hope that you can read the prophet Habakkuk with me and see that we are not alone in our questions. In fact, the Bible is such a reliable book because the authors did not edit out their failures. They did not edit out their their failures or make themselves appear to be perfect. But instead, the hero of the Bible will always be God. There's only one hero. So the problem is, apparent, right? It's widespread. Widespread, And in fact, if you have an atheist friend or someone who used to believe in God or someone who maybe just denies the God of the Bible, this is likely one of their objections. Namely, if God is good, how can evil prosper, right? If God is good, how can evil prosper? And my goal today is to witness the testimony of God himself to the, the prophet the prophet Habakkuk, to find an answer to that question. Sometimes people think that God doesn't speak like he used to. He talked to the prophets. He talked through Jesus and the apostles, but he doesn't talk like he used to. And I would propose that maybe, maybe, it's not that God doesn't talk like he used to, but maybe it's that we don't listen to the answers he's already given. Because a lot of the questions that are so integral to this This world and understanding how life works, God has already answered in his word. See, God tells us that even when evil prospers, he is still working. And we'll discover this goal by looking at selected verses in chapter 1 and 2 of Habakkuk. And in this text, some background on Habakkuk, we see the puzzled prophet. Habakkuk is the puzzled prophet. He is confused as to what is going on and why things are happening. And just so, so you have some geographical context, he is a part of the southern tribe of Judah after the northern tribe of Israel has been taken captive by the Assyrians. Now, later in time, the Babylonians who we'll be reading about will take Israel captive based on their lack of obedience to the law. And losing God's protection. But essentially this is what Habakkuk is going through. He is looking around his country and he is seeing the moral fabric of his country degraded and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and people are not obeying God and they are rejecting God and these are God's chosen people and yet they are not following him. And so Habakkuk, in response, sees this and he complains to God. Did you know that in the Bible we see time and time again followers of God complain to God? Did you know that we can complain to God? In fact, a majority of the Psalms are known as Lament Psalms, which are designed for us to express our emotion to God in a reverent and God-honoring way. And here we see Habakkuk complaining to God. And God responds. God responds to his complaints. And one of the verses we're going to be reading today is sometimes known as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Namely, that the righteous shall live by his faith. That's our key verse today. See, preceding these verses, what we'll see in Habakkuk is a man full of doubt, a man full of fear, but after this, we will see a man who is full of such faith as we finish next week. But the main idea of today is that the righteous shall live by faith. And as we work through our passages today, we're going to see something that will be foundational to understanding God and his character. And it's namely that God cannot break his word. God cannot break his word. His promises are as sure as his character. And our hope is never in our circumstances, but is in the character and fulfillment of God's promises. This is the foundational truth for today. And we're going to see that by looking at two questions. Two questions that maybe you yourself have asked. Number one, what is God doing when I can't see it? And number two, why does evil prosper? These are the two questions that Habakkuk in chapters 1 and 2 asks God. So, if you would, turn to your Bible, and let's read the first four verses of Habakkuk to understand his complaint. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Here Habakkuk introduces the question of, God, what are you doing? Cries of, how long will you not save Why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk is obviously grieved by the state of his country. This was the country where God revealed his righteousness to them through the law. And what's happening is they are simply rejecting it. God hasn't done anything and so they just keep going and keep going and indulging and indulging their sin. The moral fabric that established their country is being ripped apart. And so obviously he is grieved. He sees this destruction. He sees this violence. The unholy living is so great that he describes the law as what? What does he describe the law as? Paralyzed. Paralyzed. He emphasizes this lack of justice. The question comes to mind, is he living in the United States of America, right? I've asked those same questions Look at our country. What is going wrong? And what's amazing is that we see what God, a godly response looks like to the, to the lack of morality or the, the total depravity and sin that we see in our world, and that is to turn to God. That is the first thing that Habakkuk does. He turns to God. When we say, dear God, what are we doing? We are recognizing that we are seeking the power of the only one who has any, any ability to change the circumstances that we're in. We've asked these same questions as Habakkuk. And he ends this complaint that justice goes forth what? Perverted. Perverted. Or in other words, real justice is not accomplished. And he's wondering why God has not intervened. Now, if you look at the history... Of Israel in the Old Testament it is one not of a cycle but a downward spiral over time progressively it gets worse and worse and worse and it simply goes like this Israel sins God judges them or punishes them for their disobedience by an enemy they cry out to the Lord God delivers them there's rest on the land then Israel sins God judges, punishes them by an enemy, they cry out to the Lord, God delivers them, and then there's rest. And we see that cycle over and over and over and over again, revealing a state of humanity that on our own, we do not choose the things of God. This particularly is the the downward spiral that we see in the book of Judges, and we see similar Similarly, what's going on in the book of Judges, and the key verse in that book is that in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in what? Their own eyes. Morality became subjective. You might be facing a similar circumstance. I'm not foolish enough to think that people in this room may have had a hard winter break, or maybe they've had a hard year or a hard semester. Maybe you've gone through suffering. Maybe you've gone through difficult circumstances. Maybe you have asked the question, God, where are you? See, oftentimes we shape that question around the circumstances in our life. Our view of God becomes dependent on what he has given us, whether our lot in life, The job that we have how much money we have the opportunities we have the family we have the boyfriend or girlfriend we have and we filter whether we love God or not on what he has given us I know that I have felt the question of wondering where God is when I turn on my phone and I look at social media I know I've asked the question where God is when I've gone through family loss over this past year. I know I've asked the question, where is God when looking at the hole in my house? Some of you guys don't know this, some of you guys do, but my house has been sinking. It's kind of crazy, but essentially there's been like a slow leak under my house from a drain. And so we have had to dig out a 30 foot trench that's about four feet deep right now in my house. And We are replacing the entire drain line and you know my first reaction was like wow Why is this happening to me? This wasn't any sort of negligence that I did or anything that I Because of my lack of care on my house It was just something that I inherited when I bought the house Well, it didn't show up in inspection, but it was something that happened Now, if I based my entire reality of the goodness of God based on my own experiences, I would have a very limited perspective. Because what we see in Habakkuk is the response to God of someone who sees his nation just totally in the pit. And God responds, and sometimes it's just not the answer that we want. This is what he tells Habakkuk. He is working a plan together. Even if it isn't the plan that Habakkuk desires. See, when problems are around us, who knows the best solution? We do, right? We're like, I know the best solution and this is what I'm going to pray for because I know exactly how this would fix the thing that I'm going through. But we don't have the mind of God and we don't know how he's going to orchestrate his divine plan to fruition. See, instead of intervening and stopping the evil in judah what god is going to do is he is going to let them be taken by the chaldeans that we're going to read about in a second the babylonians the jews were in this covenantal relationship with god through the mosaic covenant which was essentially god revealing his righteousness to israel and said if you obey this covenant i will bless your land and i will protect you from your enemies well They have rejected God's covenant. They are not obeying him. And so God will allow them to be taken captive by the Chaldeans. Naturally, they have failed in obeying God, and they're going to face the consequences. And that's what we see in God's response in verse 5. This is one of the most misinterpreted or misused verses in the Bible, but Habakkuk is saying, God, what are you going to do? Look at all the things going on in my country. And God answers in a really interesting way. He says in verse 5, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God tells Habakkuk the answer to the question he's been acting God is, in fact, working and bringing his plan to completion. Though, it's not what Habakkuk desires. And in response to Judah's wickedness, God uses the Chaldeans to judge them. And the point is this, guys. The point is this. Don't get uh, bogged down by the history or what is actually happening or the events. But the point is this. God is working even when he is not doing what you want him to do. God is working even when he... Even when he is not doing what you want him to do. Now, to the non religious person, to the secular person, this will sound foolish. It'll sound like a cop out answer. But we have a laundry list of reasons why we live this way as Christians. For one, we don't trust God because he does things the way we want them to be done. We trust him because by his very nature, he cannot lie or break his promises. He is the derivative of truth. Everything that is true comes from God. And one of the great apologetic arguments for the truth of Christianity lies in fulfilled prophecy. No other religion can claim the type of fulfillment that was found in the person of Christ. Guys, conservatively, conservatively, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. 300 prophecies. Prophecies, And at your tables, you're going to look at some of them. But this is just so amazing of the faithfulness of God that His promises come true. God's promises come true. This means that for the Christian, guys, get this. We live this way, not on circumstances going our way, but on the unchanging character of God and the unwavering security of His promises. This is what it means to be a person of faith. It's not a blind faith because His character has been revealed. It has been revealed through history, through events, through the deliverance of Israel, through Jesus. It is not a blind faith because His character has been revealed. And we base our faith because of who He is and who He has proved Himself to be over and over again. God is a promise keeper. We know He loves us because He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the sins of the world. We know He is a promise keeper, so we can rest on His promises. So when we pray, when we read God's Word, what are we doing? It's not so that we get something out of it to get the life that we want, but it is to receive the peace of Christ, which only comes through knowing that He is working even when He is not doing what I want Him to do. We don't get our own personal Jesus, in the sense that he's some type of genie that answers all of our wishes. He is working a plan to completion. Because it's been said that Christians don't live on expectations, they live on promises. That's because God fulfills his promises. He's fulfilled them before and he will deliver them still. The hope is not in a people, it's not in a power. It's not in a position. It is in a person who's bringing all things to an end that will give him the most glory. So let's talk about this at our table. I'd like you to look at a few prophecies in Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, Zechariah, and just talk about how fulfilled prophecies show that God is a promise keeper. And then number one, just talk about it at your table, what, maybe what you guys have gone through with this idea, maybe the struggles that you've shared. All right, guys. Let's come back. Hope you had some good discussion. We will have another time of discussion. Okay, so we've looked at Habakkuk's first complaint, and we looked at God's response, okay? Uh, uh, Habakkuk looks at his, his nation. He says, why is all this bad stuff happening in our country? Why aren't you intervening? And God says, I'm working, just not the way that you want. And there's two wagers we can make in this circumstance. There's two bets we can make. You have a secular perspective and you have a religious, theistic, or Christian perspective. And it's really what do you do with hard circumstances or evil things? For the secular person, there's no purpose, right? There is no reason and there is no hope other than something that I deem to be the way to fix it or the way in which that situation can be better, right? But for the Christian, for the religious person, the one who looks at God and believes that he is in control and that he is working a plan to completion, is that even the most evil acts can be redeemed by God and used for his glory. Even the most difficult circumstances can be be a miraculous work of faith in someone's life. Even the hardest times, God can bring meaning and purpose out of them. They're not meaningless. They didn't just happen. It's not just matter. But instead, it is God working His plan and and working His sovereign plan to completion. So there's two wagers that we can make. Either nothing has meaning, and it's all meaningless, or even the hardest thing God can use. And we see that time and again in Scripture, Whether it's Joseph, whenever he is sold by his brothers into slavery, what does that end up leading to? The salvation of his family. When we look at Judas betraying Jesus Christ, what does that lead to? Our salvation. Do you see that how God, what what Satan intends for evil, God can use for good? We don't have the mind of God. We don't always understand how, but we can know that God is working even when we don't see it. Now, the second question that Habakkuk asks is, why does evil prosper? Now, I'm going to summarize this next section, but essentially his second complaint in chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 1, is he questions how God could use the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, to judge Israel, to judge Judah, The question that Habakkuk was saying is like, yeah, God, I know we got our issues, but we're not them. We're not the Babylonians. They're way worse than us. How could you use a nation way more evil than us to judge our evil? He's basically saying, how could you let evil prosper, even though he just complained about the evil in his own nation? We see the irony here, right? We see the irony here. Essentially, Habakkuk compares his nation's sin not with God's righteousness anymore like he does in chapter 1, the the first part of chapter 1, but he compares his nation's sin with someone else's. As an aside, don't we do the same thing? Don't we often compare our sin with someone else's? Don't we justify our sin and say, well, I'm not really that bad. At least I don't do that sin. At least I'm not that person. We are all sinners. And the truth is that all of us are unrighteous by our own deeds. But the beauty of the gospel is that God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And there's so much equality in the reality that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there is so much beauty in the opportunity that Jesus Christ is the propitiation or the satisfaction of God's wrath. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. There is equality in our sinfulness and there is beauty in the equality of our opportunity to, to trust in Christ. And anyone who hears the gospel You have that choice to either accept or reject that forgiveness that Jesus offers. So what is the response that the Lord gives to Habakkuk's cry of evil prospering? Well, God encourages Habakkuk that not only is he working, but Habakkuk, in the meantime, can live in a certain way. So first we're going to say, Habakkuk, this is how you should live. Also, in the second half, this is how I'm going to deal with the Chaldeans. He says in verse 2, chapter 2, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So, here in this section, I want to point out a few things. The first is that God says, Let's see here to make it plain on tablets he wants his people to understand this he knows that he is about god is about to say something very important and he wants his people to listen number 2 the vision will not lie meaning what god has said about him working even though we don't see it that wasn't a lie god is working it will happen it is not slow as some count slowness right god cannot lie And this will indeed happen just as God told Habakkuk it would happen. We said that happen in history. Number three, if it seems slow, what should we do? Wait for it. It will surely come. Man, Habakkuk did not have Amazon Prime. Because if he did, he would not be writing this. Patience? Are you kidding me? Such an act of the will to choose, to choose to be patient. To not indulge. To not say, I'm just going to fix it on my own. But instead to trust God. To wait for His plan to come for, to fruition. That can sometimes be hard for us, right? That can sometimes be hard for us to trust and be patient. But we can be patient how? Think. Read the verse. How can we be patient? Number one, by believing that His promises are true. true. And number two, resting upon them. It is a disposition of the will to live by faith. That's the last thing I want to point out. Number four, how do we wait patiently? The righteous shall live by his or her faith. It's called the John 3.16 passage of the Old Testament because it truly is the right and only response to God and His redemptive work. Paul quotes this verse three times, one in Romans, one in Hebrews, and somewhere else. But essentially, he is essentially talking about this is the fundamental aspect of the Christian faith. See, God desires for us to be people of faith, to trust in Him. And this is the question that we have to consider today as we recognize and wrestle with these hard things, is do we trust God despite the circumstances? Or is our trust dependent upon the circumstances? Do we trust God despite the circumstances or do we trust God dependent upon the circumstances? Right? One bases our trust on what he gives us and one bases our trust on who he is and what he promises. But my expectation is not that all of you would never doubt God. That's just not a reality that I think is is going to happen. So I want to encourage you when you do doubt God, what you should do. Because God is responding to doubtful Habakkuk with this response. In the meantime, while I'm working, live by faith. So that's my encouragement to you guys, is to live by faith. And how do we do that? I think there's three ways that we can live by faith. Number 1 is reading and listening to the word of God. When we hear the voice of God, when we hear the voice of God, when we meditate on the voice of God, something happens because that's what Paul says in Romans 10. He says faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? The word of Christ. Faith comes from reading and hearing the word. Number 2, prayer. Do we commune with God? Do we spend time speaking with Him? Do we spend time listening for His voice and His Word? And lastly, communing with other believers. The best place to wrestle with your doubt is with other believers, not Google. If you can talk with other believers, if they can be patient with you, ask for patience as you wrestle with these doubts, that's the way we should do it because that's the way Habakkuk did it, That's the way David did it. And even Peter, when he doubted what happened, he was restored back to the Lord. There was a relational component there. See, Tom Constable, he puts it this way, what we can do. One abiding lesson of this book is that people of faith sometimes have trouble continuing to trust in God. If we look at what's happening in our world, we may come up with the same questions Habakkuk voiced at the beginning of this book. But if we continue to listen to the word of God, we can have peace in our hearts and songs on our lips while we wait for God to reward the righteous with life for their faith. I'm so excited for us to hear the the next next message in this by Chris and Shanae. They're going to do next week. But essentially, it's the joy of Habakkuk. What begins with doubt, what begins with questioning, ends with joy because he recognizes who God is and what he promises. Corey Timboom. She was a survivor of the Holocaust and writer of the famous autobiography, The Hiding Place. She sought to save Jews from extermination in Europe and ended up in a concentration camp herself. Ended up losing her sister, lost many loved ones, many family members, many friends. And she said this about living by faith. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. It's so true. This is why we look to God when we struggle, because it gives our heart rest. Finally, we end, in the end of Habakkuk tells us a principle of this world, namely that all evil will be judged righteously. All evil will be judged righteously. God tells Habakkuk that even though he will use the Babylonians to judge Judah, he will not let them off the hook. He will judge them for the evil as well. Over and over, he says, woe to him. And really, it's to communicate the reality that Babylon is not off the hook. It might not be their time yet, but their evil will be judged. And Christian, that is the hope we have. To what is God's response to evil? Well, every evil action that has ever been taken place, every single thing, God will execute his perfect judgment. He will judge things in a perfect and righteous way. Things will not go unpunished. And if you are in Christ, it was paid on the cross. And if not, we will pay for those personally by being judged to hell. Because the payment for sin, the payment for evil, is perfect justice. So you are either in Christ or you are not. This is what Revelation 20, 12 through 15 tells of this judgment. It says that, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. We quiver at that a little bit, but we can be joyful knowing that God does not let evil just happen. He does not let evil acts just sit in the air, but he will execute his justice. Our God is a God of justice and he will deal with all things so that the reality of Revelation 20, one will be true as well. Namely, that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Evil, my friends, is temporary. Is temporary. And for those of us in Christ, who have trusted in him for the forgiveness of our sin, we will see this come true. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It is true that in the midst of difficulty, God is working. It is true that when evil it seems that evil is prospering, we can walk by faith and that all evil will be judged. Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you so much for giving us the person of Christ, that we might see him as the light of the world to illuminate who you are and illuminate our need for a Savior. Thank you for giving us that precious gift. I pray that you would uh, just do a mighty work in these students' hearts this semester, that they would, anyone in this room who hasn't trusted in Christ, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, that you would allow them the faith that they need to trust in him alone for their salvation and to follow him the rest of their days. God, I pray for those of us who have trusted in Christ. I pray that you would continue to disciple us into the person that you want us to be, to sanctify us, to be holy like you are holy. I pray that our lives would reflect the goodness that you are, the justice that you have, and the mercy that you give us. Lord, you are a good God, and I pray that we would be ministers of the good news to all, that, to all the people that we see, that we would testify to the good news by the way in which we live, and that you would be glorified above all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.